Let us open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. For those that may be listening to this or watching it later, we have had 1 John chapter 1 read to us, and Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 about Zacchaeus, John chapter 4 through verse 26 about the woman of Sychar, the final part of the Lord Jesus Christ's prayer in John 17, and our Lord's exaltation in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. We come now to Ephesians chapter 3, and let's gird up the loins of our minds and focus our attention on the great things of God's Word revealed to us by the declaration of the apostles. I hope that you were excited and stirred up and convicted about the fellowship that the apostles want us to have with God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and with them. They've passed before us, and so they are the spirits of just men made perfect, but we are still in unity with them. I hope that you were excited that uh, the sinner Zacchaeus was paid a visit by the Lord Jesus Christ and the woman of Sychar. What a wonderful visit. No one here should be unduly burdened by their sins because you can leave that burden at the foot of the cross and embrace the Savior. He came for losers. He came for sinners. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. I hope that you were excited by those verses from John chapter 17 that as the Father and the Son are one, so may we be one in fellowship with the two of them. That is just unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable information. It's the gospel, the glad tidings of good things. And our Lord Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of glory, and every tongue shall confess, and every knee shall bow before Him. And confess that Jesus is Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, and today and this assembly will be our last use of this text for the time being. Ephesians 3, 8, the Apostle Paul wrote this church in Asia, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. We have taken five assemblies, five sermons, to deal with this wonderful subject. It is your duty to divorce your mind from every distracting, caring thought right now. It is your privilege to take your heart and set it on heavenly things. And let us consider a few smaller pieces of the puzzle of God's Word that tell us about the unsearchable riches of Christ. There is no greater glory in heaven but the glory of God than the glory of the Lamb. There is no greater glory on earth than to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want all of you to know Him. I want you to walk with Him and be one with Him and His Father. I want us not only to have apostolic doctrine and tradition, but also apostolic fellowship. And their fellowship was with the Father and with the Son. And we can have that as well. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost. And if He's not grieved or quenched in your life, 
that he is bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And if you have sinned, then confess it. And God will faithfully and justly forgive you and restore that Holy Spirit of power. Let us now turn to Romans chapter 8. I shall not make any further introduction to our subject. You're well familiar with it. Let's just consider a few miscellaneous aspects of the riches of Christ for our assembly this morning. Romans chapter 8 is a favorite of some in this church, and for good reason. I want to read verses 17 through 23, because we're talking about the unsearchable. That means it cannot be fully plumbed. We can't use a depth finder and find out how deep it goes, nor can we use a telescope to find out how high it goes, nor how wide, nor deep, nor broad It's just outside of our fully grasping it so that it is unsearchable. We can't fully explain it. We can't fully define it. We can't measure it. But we will talk about it in the ways that the Lord's told us. And this is one of them. This is how rich Jesus Christ is. When He died on the cross by the grace of God for us, there was a purchase made and a deliverance made of captives and a captive creation that is soon to be shown to the universe. And this heaven and earth will pass away as it now appears and will be replaced by a reformed heaven and earth, a rejuvenated heaven and earth, a renewed heaven and earth that is very different. Romans 8.17 And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves to wit, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. This passage is telling us that by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has redeemed the natural creation that is all around us from the death that grips it at this time. Animals die, roses fade, and everything is corrupt. And it's in travail and pain. Our bodies are in travail and pain. Everything we see rusts. It corrodes. It loses its luster. Because it's under the curse of the bondage of sin. So everything in the world is that way. But the unsearchable riches of Christ, the undefinable, immeasurable riches of Christ, include a transformation of the universe. 
You say, I'm going to take my car to Mako and pay $150 for a $20 paint job. Sorry for anybody that uses Mako. Oh. I'm going to renew my car. I'm going to go get my hair done. I'm going to renew my appearance. How about the Lord, Jesus Christ? He's going to renew the universe. Everything we know is under the bondage of corruption, and it's going to happen when the sons of God are made manifest to the universe. Do you know who they are? It's us. It's you and me. What does it mean to be made manifest? It means to be revealed and shown to the universe, these are my children. These are my sons and daughters. Jesus Christ will not be ashamed to call them brethren. But in that great day when He calls us brethren, this whole universe is going to be changed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Jesus says, Behold, I make many things new. Most things new. All things new. Yes. This is the riches. The unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel like being made new? Are you getting old? Are you starting to fall apart? He's going to make everything new. A new heart. It'll have a pacemaker. The God of glory. Let's just be thankful for the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have preached this passage phrase by phrase at other times, and so we can't do it now, but it's a wonderful passage. It lines up with 2 Peter chapter 3, with Isaiah 66, about a new heaven and a new earth. Because the former things are passed away, and all things are made new. Let us rejoice in the unsearchable riches of Christ, which include Him coming and changing everything that disappoints us, everything that rusts, everything that decays. I am going to a city where the roses never fade. You have never seen a rose that doesn't fade. Even the ones that you buy at the silk shop get dust and dirt all over them and lose their luster. And first, In the first place, they never matched up to what God makes out there with mud and sunshine anyway. But to all glory to God for the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amen. The world thinks that we're going to pave, we're going to put another lane on 385, and we're going to do something and re- re- renovate something and renew something and make it better. The Lord's going to do it to the whole creation. All the laws of thermodynamics are going to disappear. God doesn't need the law of thermodynamics. He is the dynamo of this universe. So I, I love this passage. And you know, I can't go into it right now, but I hope as I read through it slowly, you were able to see that like in verse 19, that the earnest expectation of the creature using this singular noun for the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now we know what it's talking about because verse 22 tells us, for we know that the whole creation, that's what it's talking about here, will be changed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why you don't read this in the New York Times? Do you know why they don't study this at MIT? Do you understand that? Because it's a mystery. It is not revealed to natural senses nor natural observation, but it is declared and written down to us in writing in our Bibles. You've got to make a choice. Whether you want to believe the written record that God has given of His Son or go against it. 
I tried to show you three doors 11 days ago, and those three doors are based on the fact, are you going to believe the Bible, or do you want to fight the Bible? My reasoning was, when I was 19 years old, if the Bible is half true about God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I owe Him 100% of everything I am. Because if it's only half true, I better be pleasing Him when He comes. Because one half of hell is an infinite eternity of torment. Because one half of infinity is infinity. One half of Jesus Christ and His unsearchable riches are still unsearchable. And so, I choose the riches of Christ. Did anyone else make that choice in the Bible? That chose the riches of Christ over the riches of Egypt? Does that help you? With that little hint? And the pleasures of Egypt? Moses, our brother, made that choice. The glorious liberty is so great that Jesus Christ has purchased for us that the residual blessing will alter the universe. The manifestation of the sons of God is a large part of the climax of the universe. For God to show the universe who His children are. To think of, the, to think of everything and to think of all time as we know it, 6,000 years of human history, as a drama on a stage of the universe for the glory of God because He's going to manifest that He saved us, that makes life pretty exciting, doesn't it? It makes the gospel pretty exciting. It makes Christ glorious. Rejoice with me. Embrace Him. Obey Him. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. My point here is this. The riches of Jesus Christ are unsearchable because they're absolutely certain. If riches are not certain and you could lose them, then they're not as unsearchable as the riches of Christ. But the riches of Christ are absolutely certain. And so let's just remind ourselves very briefly of what the Bible says. Most of us were raised, trained and taught, and heard another gospel with another Jesus and another spirit that made it appear that Jesus was mostly unsuccessful. That most of those He died for end up in hell. Most of those God loves end up in hell. Most of those God the Holy Spirit sought to save end up in hell. But not the gospel of the Bible. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Here's what he said. John chapter 6 and verse 38. For I came down from heaven. This is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus saying, it's in the red writing in your Bibles. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. The Lord Jesus Christ said, God sent me to earth and told me, I have given you these people to redeem from their sins. And and you will not lose any of them. God gave them to Jesus Christ. We do not give ourselves to Christ in a passage like this. God gave us to Christ. And Christ will not lose any of them. That is a wonderful statement of Scripture that the Father has committed and commanded and ordained that the Lord Jesus Christ would not lose a single one of those that He gave Him. But they will be raised up at the last day. 
But you should say to me immediately, how do I know that I am one of those that God gave to Christ? Well, look at the 37th verse. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Run to Christ. Run to Christ and believe on Him. When it says come to Christ in John chapter 6, it means to believe on Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And not with just some mere head knowledge, but believe that He is the Son of God. He is the reigning King of the universe. And He's coming for us. Believe it and live in the light of that faith. And you are those that the Father gave to His Son to be saved. In verse 40, it puts it this way. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. There it is, viewed from our standpoint. We believe on Christ, and therefore it puts us in the number of those that God gave His Son to save. But that is subsequent and consequent and second to the fact that God gave us to Christ first in the preceding verse of verses 38 and 39. Thank you, Lord. Let's turn a couple pages to John chapter 10. The unsearchable riches of Christ are that there is never a loss. There is never a decay. There is no stock you can buy that doesn't have a time of loss. There is no ETF. There is no market index that doesn't ebb and flow and go up and go down. There's bulls and there's bears, but there's the Lord Jesus Christ and there is no other. It's only upward and onward. It is only certain and sure. And we want to understand that that is part of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, and in verse 28, this is Jesus talking about His sheep. And I give unto them eternal life. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me. We don't give ourselves to Jesus. God gave us to Jesus. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There it is again. God gave the sheep to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ gives to those sheep eternal life. And you might say to me, well, to become a sheep of Jesus Christ, I need to believe on Him. No, you have the cart before the horse. To believe on Him, you have to already be a sheep of Jesus Christ. It is impossible for a goat to believe on Jesus and become a sheep. It is impossible for you to be at the left hand of God, the goats that that were foreordained and made for eternal condemnation to jump over to the right hand and be the sheep of Jesus Christ. Because look at verses 26 and 27. We always want to look at the context. It will tell us the answer. Verse 26, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. It doesn't say, But ye are not of my sheep, because you don't believe. It says you don't believe because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you want to prove to yourself whether you're a sheep of Jesus Christ? Then follow Christ. Amen. Then follow Him today. Follow Him in your marriage. Follow Him in your finances. Follow Him in your thoughts. Follow Him in your entire life. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. 
You are hearing not the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ today, but you are hearing the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should believe on Him and follow Him. I don't have time to turn you to Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul said that I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was the first one in that list, Sarah? What was the first one in that list? For I am persuaded that neither death, we ain't praying for that, nor life, we are praying for that, shall separate us from the love of God. And where is the love of God? It is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone else that we have ever known, their love ebbs and flows because it's only in them. But the love of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ and it will never ebb and flow. Paul was persuaded of it. Let's be persuaded of it today. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, the riches of Christ are absolutely certain which is part of their unsearchableness. And so we rejoice. Jeremiah 33 Still on this second point. Jeremiah 33. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saying it so boldly, so plainly, so powerfully, so convincingly. The apostle just ran out of his list. So he said, nor any other creature. You know who that includes? You. You can't get rid of his love for you. Jeremiah chapter 33. I'm amused by this one in a, in a wonderful way, and I hope that you are as well. Verse 20, Jeremiah thirty-three twenty. Thus saith the Lord, If ye can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their 24-hour season, I stuck the 24 hours in there, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the seed of David my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. Amen. That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you think that you can get rid of the day and night cycle of 24 hours? You cannot. Therefore, you cannot. The first cannot is, you can't change the 24-hour day and night cycle. The second cannot is, you can't take away God's covenant that in the Lord Jesus Christ would always sit on His throne and would have a seed that would be like the stars of heaven and the sand which is by the seashore. And who are those Levites? The Levitical priesthood passed away 2,000 years ago. So who are the Levites? Yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're the Levites. Only metaphorically, because who'd want to be a Levite? Do you know what that means? We haul water and chop wood. That's what the Levites did. They hauled water and chopped wood. Do you know what we get to do? More than the high priest got to do in Israel. We get to go right into the presence of God boldly and without the blood of anything because the blood's already been put there. I keep saying unbelievable. It said unsearchable. It said unsearchable and unspeakable, so it's it's kind of like it's unbelievable, but we believe it. Because God's put faith in our heart and He's given us this Word. You can't get rid of the day and night. And so every time when you get up in the morning and it's dark and you say, 
Maybe today's the day. The sun's not going to shine. Just wait a few minutes, because I know that you didn't get up that early. Just wait a few minutes, and the sun's going to come up. And do you know what you can do? You can punch the air and say the unsearchable riches of Christ. He is on his throne. He's coming for us. And you can go right into the presence of God. Oh, I don't like this subject. I speak as a fool. I would finish my life out on this subject if I didn't think that there were some other things that we should learn as well. But you know what? Every other subject that we look at, we should always bring it around to the unsearchable riches of Christ. I try with the Proverbs. Some of them, it's a, it's a, it's a stretch. But I know that it is, is the riches of the wisdom that is hid in Christ that re- is reflected in every proverb. Thank you, Lord. You still there? At Jeremiah 33, everyone still there? Let's try verse 25. Thus saith the Lord, if my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. There it is again. The Lord wants you to know that. Let's go to, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. The unsearchable riches of Christ. It's why we have a church. It's what binds us together. It's what can give you fullness of joy. Is to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, fall at His feet, confess your sins, embrace Him, and tell Him that you love Him. You will never be sorry. You will never regret. You will never be sad. You might be a little cast down from time to time, but you will never be destroyed. And you will always have the light of the glory of Christ shining in your light, even when you're in a dungeon in the jail of Philippi. You can sing praises to God at midnight because the Lord is with you. In Matthew chapter 11, we want to deal with a practical aspect of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The worship of Molech and the worship of Islam or that of Muslims is very similar in the religious bondage they are under. In Molech's religion, you needed to bring your children, your little babies, and they would heat up their hollow idol until it was orange with heat, and they would get their drums beating, and you could bring your little baby and toss it into the arms of that massive steel, iron colossal, clay colossal, and that baby would be just snatched away in a burst of flame. It's called in the Bible, passing your seed through the fire to Molech. Now those are the religions of the world. But we're speaking of the unsearchable riches of Christ. This morning, and I didn't plan this at all because I'm not smart enough, nor can I control anything in my life or in the world, but I had an email in my inbox that told about suicide bombers in Lahore province of Pakistan. And so the Muslims are very little different that if you really want your 72 virgins and palm trees in heaven, then you need to strap a bomb to your body and go wade in among Christians and set it off. What terrible bondage these other religions are in. We have a different kind of a religion. 
It's so different. Roman Catholicism follows those religions as well. It has no end to its sacraments. Or, they have another word, it's called sacramentals. It's all the stuff that don't make the cut of being one of their seven sacraments. They're called sacramentals. They have rituals. They have relics. They have all this stuff that you need to be doing for religious bondage. Their leaders have to take vows of celibacy. I'll never have a woman if you're a priest. I'll never have a man if you're a nun. I'll never own anything. The church will own everything. And they put a ring on their hand because I'm married to the church. They might say Jesus. They might say the Pope. They might say Mary. But they can't have anything. So the Roman Catholics have all that bondage. Some of them will crucify themselves Some of them will crawl with crosses on the ground until they're bleeding messes in the Philippines or in Mexico. The inspired apostles even knew that God's Old Testament religion of the Old Testament was unbearable. They said about it in Acts, you can stay there at Matthew chapter 11, but in Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, Now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? All religions, including the religion of God under the Old Testament, was a religion of bondage. Why tempt ye God to even think about telling the Gentiles in the Council of Jerusalem that they had to keep the rituals of the Old Testament religion? Neither we nor our fathers were able to bear that yoke on the neck. You know, those are strong words. A yoke on your neck. You want to hear about the unsearchable riches of Christ? We get, forgive my use of a three-letter word that is used so irreverently, but we get to come in here and have fun in the worship of God. We get to come in here and have fullness of joy. We get to come in here and get excited. We get to come, no, we don't jump around and act like idiots because we're not idiots. We're not the new spring of idiocy. We are the old paths of Almighty God. And He wants to be worshipped with reverence and godly fear, not idiocy. But we come in here, and it is a wonderful thing to have the words of God declared to us from His Bible, to sing His praises, to have Scripture read to us. It's so wonderful. Look what He says about His religion. It's the last three verses of Matthew chapter 11. Sorry for the long build-up, but I want you to realize we're a little bit different than Molech. We're a little bit different than the Muslims. We're a little bit different than the Roman Catholics. We're a little bit different than Old Testament worship. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me. We've already been, we've already learned that in John six. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The apostles themselves said that the Old Testament yoke was unbearable. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It is easy to be a Christian when you do it Jesus' way. If you try to be a Christian and love the world, it is the most painful, the most idiotic, 
foolish, counterproductive, lose-lose situation you can ever put yourself in. Go ahead and declare yourself an atheist. And go live to satisfy your lusts. Then you will lighten your yoke and your burden for a few years. But if you try to pretend you're a Christian and you want to feed yourself with this world, it's foolish. You can't truly enjoy either of them. You're miserable. But this is his yoke. And so to enjoy this yoke and to have an easy yoke and to have a light burden and to find rest for your souls, it's to come to Christ and cast all your burdens upon him and learn of him. How did Jesus live? That's the way you should live. Learn of me. Learn of me. Everything was for his father. Learn of me. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I think it was last Lord's Day when I showed you from Hebrews 4 that the rest of the gospel is better than the Sabbath rest. And one day off out of seven, 15% downtime. Not counting the fact that he already gave you 16 hours a day off. Oh, let's not even do the math. It'll make us all feel like wimps. If you work a 40-hour work week, that should be a 40-hour, two-day work. Anyway, on to better subjects. The rest of the gospel is better than the Sabbath. The rest of the gospel is better than the land of Canaan. Right. For those of you that don't know anything about Roman Catholicism, and you've never been there, and you've never met a devoted Catholic, you do not know what hoops they have to jump through to try to limit their time in purgatory. Thank you, Lord, for your yoke being easy and your burden light. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7, I will have, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. How's that for an easy yoke and a light burden? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Those other religions, oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. I will have sacrifice. Then you can have some mercy. Sacrifice yourself to the church. Sacrifice your baby. And maybe God will bless your planting and your harvesting this year. Thank you, Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. These two chapters are the Apostle Paul commending the Corinthian church in Achaia, Greece, for their gifts to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. There's two whole chapters commending their giving. And in the middle of this first chapter commending their giving, he says this, verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He could have written, For ye know the unsearchable riches of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Thank you, Lord. The grace of Christ began by leaving his riches to become poor for your salvation. Jesus was in the form of God in his divine nature and thought it not robbery to be equal with God as our brother James read to us today. He was born to poor parents that could not afford a hotel and was laid in a manger in a stable of some sort for animals. 
He had no position. He had no pleasure in this world, privileges or riches, in a life without a home or a bed. He said the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Do you know what you do every night? Do you know where to go to find it? Is it always there? Does mommy keep it clean? Or sister? We know where to go. We lay down every night and it's comfortable. As ESPN would tell us, it's as cool as the other side of the pillow. We know where to lay our head. He didn't. He became poor. His last Passover with his apostles, a fabulous feast, by the way, had to be in a borrowed room. A borrowed room. For the Lord of glory, in the 34th year of his life, he died a cruel death after torture between common thieves, replacing a murderer. He was cut off in the prime of his life and had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor so that you might be made rich. Do you know how rich you are? His death secured a full pardon for your crimes and your adoption as the Son of Jehovah God. That is rich. That is unsearchable riches of Christ. I am so glad and I am so thankful that when the gavel came down saying, you are not guilty because of the death of my son, that the judge did not end that court appearance by saying, you are free to go. I don't want to be free to go. I don't want to be on the, out on the sidewalk with nothing but a plastic bag with a few personal items in it. I don't want to be told you are free to go. I'm thankful for the mediator who became poor for me, who raised his hand and said, Father, there's one more legal matter we need to take care of. I want you, I ask you, on the basis of my finished sacrifice, to adopt Jonathan Crosby as your son, as my brother, and we will share the inheritance you have for me. That is unbelievable. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was rich, he became poor, that we might be rich, and by the grace of God, rewarding him for his obedience, we're all going to be rich. I mean, Jesus and those that are His will divide up the universe as joint heirs. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the unsearchable riches of Christ. When He ascended to heaven, Jesus inherited the universe as His assets, and we are joint heirs with Him. What a rich inheritance we have. Look at Psalm 49. Thank you, Adam. You just all have to figure out which one. Psalm 49. It was the green one. (laughs) Psalm 49. He had this psalm back a few months ago. And so he appreciates its words. There's reasons why we present psalms. There's reasons why we read the Word of God. There's reasons why we read the Word of God slowly so that we will lay hold of its words so that when we hear a related concept in Scripture, oh yes, Oh yes, I know how that fits. In Psalm 49, the psalmist appeals to all people, verse 1, and tells all inhabitants of the world to give ear. It doesn't matter whether you're low, high, rich, poor, 
Wisdom is about to come forth out of the mouth and heart of the psalmist by the inspiration of God. Verse 6, they that trust in their wealth. Now remember, we're talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ or the unsearchable wealth of Christ. But there are rich people in the world that we call wealthy. They can buy just about anything they want. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. This is the unsearchable riches of Christ. The richest man on earth cannot pay the price to redeem his brother from dying under the judgment of God. Because it is appointed to men once to die, and after that, the judgment, there's no way to avoid it. And so the word of God comes forth toward all the rich in the world. You cannot, by any means, redeem a brother that you might love ever so dearly from the consequences of sin. Because the redemption of their soul is precious. And when the Bible says precious, and it tells us to compare spiritual things with spiritual, and when it tells us that, it means words. Do you think of a verse? The redemption of their soul is precious. For we were redeemed, not with incorruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. The window of time in which you had to go redeem souls is past. The window was opened only one time. The window was only opened for the Lord Jesus Christ, and He went through it, and He offered His blood, and He redeemed all that will be redeemed. And He gave a ransom for them, and the ransom price to free us from the claims of God's justice against us are His own precious blood. The unsearchable riches of Christ transcend all the riches of wealthy men. They can by no means accomplish what Jesus Christ accomplished. There is no amount of money nor financial leverage anywhere for ransom to God. Though their money will do much for them, they cannot buy off their soon death. Their inward thoughts are arrogant and foolish about how they approach life. The redemption of a soul is precious. The redemption of a soul ceases forever. It's over and past. God will only accept one payment, and it's not your obedience, and it's not your decision, and it's not your baptism. It is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ by His blood. And so there's, there's one good verse in this psalm. It's got 20 verses, but there's only one good one in it. I mean, the rest are just condemning. No man can by any means redeem his brother. They're all going to be tossed into graves like the car- like carcasses. I mean, like sheep, verse 14, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Verse 13, this their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Can you believe that people actually write down what men say that fall into holes in the ground? You know what we have written down? The words of the God of heaven. Amen. There's one good verse. Have you found it yet? Somebody help me. I can't see it. I speak as a fool. 15. But, yes, I love all the buts of the Bible. But, 
But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for He shall receive me. Yes, I agree. Selah. Think upon that one for a while. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for He shall receive me. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Riches. When they are understood as value and importance of something, like in our phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ, it's the value and importance and glory of God's grace to save us through Christ Jesus. The glory and the value of riches or wealth depend to a great degree on their success or victory. In proportion to their success or victory. You know, when we read Psalm 45 about, oh, the, the prince that put his, girded his sword on and he was a king and he's God and his throne is, his throne is one of, and his scepter is one of righteousness in Psalm 45. When you read that Psalm, it is filled with success and victory for the arrows of the king are sharp in the hearts of his enemies and he rides over them and he marries his bride and it's all beautiful and successful. Does this text Sound victorious and successful to you? Amen. Hallelujah. When we go to John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Does that sound successful and victorious to you? Hallelujah. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. In, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I shared this with you recently somewhere. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. These are exciting little words ending the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. Verse 21. Let's not get distracted with the three verses that come before it. They are good in their own right. 1 Corinthians 3.21 Therefore, Let no man glory in men. Period. Therefore, let no man glory in men. All of our glorying in this church had better be the Lord Jesus Christ. For all things are yours. Everything, all men, ordinary men, natural men, earthly men, men like Paul, Apollos, Cephas, all men, even Christ, God has arranged for you because you are His children. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Let's not lower our sight from the giver of all these gifts to the gifts themselves. Let's get it back up where it belongs. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, Paul is yours. God chose Paul, ordained Paul, quickened Paul, motivated Paul, taught Paul, gave him a graduation and an ordination and sent him out to the Gentiles for you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, listen to this list, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ and Christ is God's. That's the drama of the universe. God... Christ His Son, preeminent above all, we below Christ, and the entire universe, ours. Why would we start having factions in the church at Corinth while I am of Paul? 
Paul's my main man. Well, I'm of Cephas. I think Peter is better. He spent three and a half years with Jesus before he died. Well, I'm of Apollos. Because did you hear him the last time he preached? His eloquence annihilates Paul and Peter. And there they go. And then one stands up and says, I don't know why all of you are getting excited about men. I'm of Christ in his self-righteous confidence. And then Christ comes along through Paul's pen and says, whether Christ or Apollos or Paul or Cephas, all things are yours. Get your eyes back up on the Lord who gave them for us. This is a nice little passage, isn't it? All things are yours. What do you own? When was the last time you pulled a balance sheet? Was it pretty anemic? No, it isn't anemic. Do you know what's on the liability side? Amen, brother. Zero. On the liability side. Who's paid off all the liabilities? The unsearchable riches of Christ. What's on the asset side? The whole universe. What does that leave in the form of in the way of capital? Assets minus liabilities, if I haven't forgotten. Assets minus liabilities equals owner's equity. Do we have any equity in the universe? You accountants, you should be standing up right now shouting hallelujah. You've never seen a balance sheet like that. That's our balance sheet, brethren. And do you know who who bought it? Who made the God the Father made the investment, and the investment was his only begotten son. And we own all things. Here I go playing cards again. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Are we of all men most miserable? Or is there a whole lot that follows 1 Corinthians 15, 19? If you read it, all you can think of are the words success and victory. The unsearchable riches of Christ. If you go to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Orville, is it still your favorite chapter? 1 Corinthians 15, if you go to the last eight or nine verses of that chapter, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all be changed. We're going to be making fun of death in the grave. We should already be doing so if we believe the Bible. Because God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ are able to dull the things of this world. We need that. The world is constantly throwing at us this exciting, shiny thing. This other exciting, wonderful thing that we need to do or that we need to have. And yet... When we look in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God that the reproach of Christ was greater than the riches of Egypt. Do you know what he had at his disposal as the grandson of Pharaoh? In the way of women? In the way of wealth? In the way of power? In the way of privilege? In the way of clothing? In the way of honor and esteem, in the way of pleasure, in the way of riches, he said the reproach of Christ is better because it is the unsearchable riches of Christ in comparison to the limited riches of Egypt. All glory to his name. Riches enhance your perspective of life, making other assets to be more enjoyable. First of all, I pointed out that riches dull the things of this world because the things we have in Christ are so much better. But then the things of Christ also enhance this life because the Bible says, follow, 
You say, that sounds like you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Follow. He that hath a merry heart has a continual feast. There is no merry heart that can approach the heart that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a continual feast. That is why Paul and Silas sang and praised God down there in that dungeon. That is why a dry morsel and love is better than a stalled ox and strife or contention therewith. I mean, the Bible is so precious to us in telling us these simple rules of priority. When your gaze and your glory are on Christ, houses and spouses, houses and spouses have a greater luster. I've said this to you before. The closer you're walking with Christ, the better looking your wife. The closer you're walking to, with Christ, the more romantic your husband. It's your fault that your wife or your husband are not enough. It's your fault you don't like your house. It's your fault you don't like your car. It's your fault you don't like your job. If Christ were first, and your gaze and your glory were on Him, all the rest of this is very endurable, yea, enjoyable, because you have Christ. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, and on the grounds of that promise that we have Him, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. It will save your life to have Christ first. And so I share that with you as part of His unsearchable riches. The riches of Jesus Christ are unsearchable by the losers that He has sought out in this world. He hides His gospel from the wise and prudent, and reveals it unto babes, even so, Father, because it seemed good in thy sight. Are you thankful for those kind of riches? See, for riches to be given to you makes them unsearchable because you are the last person that deserves any of them. If you're offended by that, those riches of Christ are unsearchable because they were given to me. I don't deserve any of them, which makes it unsearchable. I don't know how to explain it or how to define these riches because why would God be rich to me? But He loves losers. And He he designed to love losers. And He purposed to love losers. And He brought you into this world to be a loser so that He can bestow His love upon you and make those people that think they are winners the real losers. Those that are something, He turns into nothing. And those that are nothing in the eyes of the somethings are made something. They're made the sons and daughters of God. And it's wonderful to go through the Bible and just look at them and to find them. And I don't have time. You know, I get to Matthew chapter 1 and tell me the four women that we find there. There's only four women in Matthew chapter 1 Because genealogies in the Bible are from father to son, to son, to son, to son, to son. Who's the first woman? Tamar. What kind of a relationship did she have with Judah? Incest. Played a prostitute. Who's next? Rahab the harlot. Who's next? Ruth the Moabitess. The nation known for whoremongers. Who's next? Bathsheba, the adulteress. There's four women in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ from Abraham to Jesus. Four women. Jesus loves losers. If there's a woman here, if there's a woman under the sound of my voice 
that even for one second's doubt, the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus for her sins, she has not read the Bible, she is lacking in faith, she needs to humble herself, confess her sins, and believe what the Bible says. Jesus saved the thief on the cross who had nothing to give him but a last-minute confession. And Jesus didn't turn and say, that sounds like fire insurance to me. That's what is said when you go visit in prisons or jail or somebody that's on their deathbed. They're just making that confession. Jesus sent His angels to gather a beggar, the world's sorriest loser, because the Bible wants us to know about Him that He had been an Eagle Scout. What does the Bible want us to know about Him? He was laid at the rich man's gate. He was laid. So He laid there and the the dogs came and licked His sores. Now that... You know, there are people that would say that is not polite for public reading. How in the world could you preach that text? How in the world can I preach that text? It sounds like it is my biography. God wanted us to know that Lazarus, the dogs licked his sores. Mary Magdalene had seven devils cast out of her. We are talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. But who got to see the risen Savior first? Peter? No. John? No. Mary, his mother? No. Mary Magdalene. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus tracked down Zacchaeus in that sycamore tree as we heard earlier this morning. Jesus chased down the Gadarene by crossing the Sea of Galilee for that one man. Jesus twice sought out and saved the man born blind in John chapter 9. Jesus cured a single leper of his disease in Matthew 8 very publicly by going over and touching him. I will be thou clean. You didn't touch lepers. You say, is it really in the Bible that way? It is in the Bible that way. Unclean! 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 If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus went over and touched him. You say, I'm unclean. Good. Jesus is looking to touch you. The more that we can admit that we're unclean, the more He'll bless us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Brethren, you know, sometimes we say it in a way that sounds like we're speaking lightly or almost foolishly about our church when we say that we are nothing but a bunch of ugly sinners saved by the grace of God, but let's always keep that attitude that we're a bunch of ugly sinners saved by the grace of God because that's what we are. And it gives God the greater glory and Christ's riches the greater unsearchableness. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Watch this with me. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That's an obvious fact. That is true. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Don't let anyone in the world think you that tell you that these people are acceptable to God and are going to heaven. Neither fornicators. Anyone guilty here? Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers. Nor effeminate. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now we've got sodomites in there. 
We've got cross-dressers in there. We've got whatever form of transvestites they had back then in this passage. Verse 11, And such were some of you. And such were some of you. There were saved sodomites in the church at Corinth. There were saved cross-dressers in the church at Corinth. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the Holy Spirit shows it by three inspired disjunctives. But, but, but. We look at some of those things in that list and we say, no way. But, but, but. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Some would say that the grace of God is limited to sinners before their conversion. So I want to add to the losers. I want to say that the riches of Christ are unsearchable by the grace and mercy of God toward just exclude yourself from this because you're probably not guilty. Repeat offenders. Have you ever been a repeat offender with the Lord? Are the repeat offenders in the Bible? David sinned against great knowledge. His sins weren't before his conversion. That boy was converted as a boy. He knew the Lord as a boy. But God forgave him fully and then some. Putting him on the throne of Israel and keeping him there and naming his throne to be the throne of heaven. And Jesus sits on the throne of David by that name at this hour. Do you know who the son of Hezekiah was? Now, Hezekiah is one of the top four kings of Judah. There is David, there is Jehoshaphat, there is Hezekiah, and there is Josiah. Hezekiah is good king number three. Did he serve the Lord with zeal from a young man's age? Yes, he did. Who was his son? Manasseh, the worst king in Israel, in Judah. The worst king. He sinned against great knowledge. He watched his father. He knew about his father. And so the Bible tells us about Manasseh. And you know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that Manasseh being brought to repentance and being put back on his throne in Judah was by the mercy of God through Jesus Christ for those things that are past. The Old Testament sins. You know, Jesus had to come after 4,000 years of human history and all those sins that had accumulated doesn't matter in the legal vision of God, and lay down his life for them. And so Manasseh would say, Peter sinned against great knowledge twice in the New Testament, but God forgave him fully and then some. He led the apostles in Acts chapter 1. He wrote two epistles with his name on them. Mark, John Mark sinned against great knowledge, but God forgave him fully and then some and made him profitable for Paul. Corinth sinned against great knowledge because Paul was their pastor and God forgave them of very many sins because when you read the first epistle of Corinthians, they had church sin after church sin after church sin. But God forgave them because it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. What I began with this morning, I end with right now. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. That the fellowship that the apostles had with God the Father and Jesus Christ, they declared unto us that truly our fellowship might be with them and with the Father and the Son. And these things are written that your joy might be full. 
I have preached on this subject for the first reason of glorifying my Savior, my Lord, your Savior and your Lord, and second of all, to increase your joy, happiness, and excitement and thankfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ and to renew your commitment to live for Him. You have a choice right now. You're just going to treat this church service like any other church service, or you're going to realize that the ambassador of God was sent to you with a message about God's Son, proving it to you from the written statements of Scripture, and you are going to love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You will make a choice. If you do not make the choice that I am commending and charging you to make right now, God will turn you inside out in this world, and you have every evidence that he will torture you for eternity. The choice is so terrible on one hand and so glorious on the other. Why would we ever halt in the middle? Let us run to Christ, believe on him, and obey him. And may the Lord bless us to be a Christ-loving, Christ-serving church that he comes and dwells with and communes with and sups with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.